Welcome to Season 2 of History, Politics, and Beer, the podcast that examines contemporary issues through the lens of history. Now, from the home office in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we invite you to sit back with an ice-cold one and enjoy the pontifications of your hosts, Matt Shockey and Jeff Hudson. Welcome back, ladies and gents, to another edition of History, Politics, and Beer. Uh, before we get started today, we have to put the beer into History, Politics, and Beer. And as always, that is Jeff Hudson. Welcome aboard, Jeff. And what do we have this December night? Well, I uh, I went into the beer distributor and I picked out several different kinds of seasonal beers. And uh, you have the Winter White Ale by Bell's Brewery. A lot of people might know Bell's if they're beer aficionados uh, from their Two-Hearted Ale, which for a lot of people was the first really highly hopped IPA they tried, okay. craft beer they tried. But that is their winter ale. Why don't you take a taste of that and tell I'm, me what you think. I'm thinking good things already because this says Belgian-inspired wheat ale, and I am a Belgian-style beer guy. So here we go. Let's see what this is. That's damn good. Is that good? That is really good <laughs> beer right there. Uh, if you are a fan of Belgian beers and you don't like that bitter taste, that winter white ale – from Bell's Brewery, uh, that is an A plus right there, Jeff Hudson. When what do you got going over there? Okay, I got a Long Trail Hibernator, and the Hibernator is a more traditional uh, seasonal beer. Uh, it's uh, they say on the side here, it's really malted, uh, heavily malted, fairly high alcohol content, six percent. So I never really had this. I'm going to take a taste. What do you guys? That uh. Yeah, it's uh, you know I I'm not gonna give this an A not because it's not it, it's a good version of what it purports purports to be it's kind of a brown ale okay type so nice malty taste something you could certainly uh, live li live with in the wintertime, uh, but not something unusually good. So I got the best of this deal tonight. Yeah, uh, you might. All right. Well, this yeah, Bell's Brewery uh, White Winter White Ale A+. All right. So we have a pod going on tonight and we're the big topic is going to be religion. Uh, but before we get into that, I have we're going to bring back a game we played uh, last season and it was predicting the future. Headlines from the future. And um we're asking I have the newspapers from the future. I've always already traveled to the future and brought the newspapers back. Um, so I know the answers of these. Um, Jeff doesn't have not shared the, him, had not shared these newspapers with him. So this is, I'm going to ask him two specific questions um, about president Trump. Uh, lots of news on president Trump this week. If you've watched um, uh, his lawyer, Cohen, um, Cohen, Cohen, is it Cohen or Cohen? Cohen, Cohen. Um, has pled and he is getting 36 months in jail. And he did an interview on Good Morning America. I, I watched that. So my first question is, will President Trump be indicted? And then my second question is, will President Trump still be around to run for reelection in 2020? All right. Well, uh, that's a tough one uh, because we don't know. I mean, uh, I do. Uh, oh, well, that's right. I do. And that's I, right. I, you I've do. Into the future. Uh, but uh, 
the Mueller investigation hasn't had many leaks, and we kind of see it in bits and drabs. Now, the significance of Cohen is that we now have the president directly implicated in felonies, which is the payoff to his two mistresses, which Cohen says he was involved in. That's a violation of campaign uh, finance law if you use campaign funds. So we and and Cohen has pled guilty to that. So he, if he's guilty, you would think his the person he says ordered him to do it is guilty as well. There is a question on whether a sitting president can be indicted for something like this. I'm not, that's not settled. No, it isn't. I mean, at this point, either one of two things happened. Either Cohen went out by himself without any direction from the president uh, and paid these women money on his own, or he was directed to pay these women money by the president of the United States. And, um, or at this point, the uh, president, not wasn't even the president elect at that point. He was uh, still a candidate. As Cohen points out, nothing happened in Trump organization without at least going through Trump's desk. I, I have a really hard time thinking that's even a plausible statement to make from the president that he did not know that Cohen was spending this money to pay off McDougal and Stormy Daniels. Well, yeah, we don't know. It hasn't been proven in a, in a case uh, court of law. I, you know, to to be the devil's advocate in in this case, um, if he had Cohen as his fixer, uh, maybe that he knew. Maybe you know you could argue that Cohen just knew this, and and we don't know is is this the only time this happened? Have there been other women paid off? We, we don't know. And so you know if, if this was a thing that was just uh, a reasonably common occurrence then Cohen would know on his own he's got to take care of, of business. But these, uh, it does seem related to the election because that's when the payments were right, made. Right, to Billy, right when the Billy Bush tape came out. Um, and then it's also, remember, if, if, the, if he didn't know about it, that means Cohen all by himself with his own money. Went out and did, okay, but anyway, as usual, Jeff, you don't like to answer the question. You like to him haul around. <laughs> So I don't think he'll be indicted for think, that. For right. for what we know now, I don't think he'll be indicted. Next question: Will the president still be in office in 2020 to run for re-election? I think I think Trump will serve out his term. Um, I think he'll be in office, but I think the the what what's happening now, what you saw in the last in the midterm, is that he's losing some of the people. He needs to be reelected. I mean, he's losing people, and he's he's underwater in approval rating in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. And the midterm showed that they were going to vote Democratic, the voters statewide. So I think the writing's on the wall for him in some ways. And he's also losing suburban. I mean, you know, wealthy and are uh, well-to-do suburbanites across the country. Hard for me to imagine a Republican candidate winning without. Getting winning that group, right? If you, uh, if you, and go back to listen to the pod, uh, Big Blue Wave or Big Blue Dud. Uh, Jeff does an outstanding job of breaking those numbers down for us and really analyzing uh, some of the suburban numbers, the different states, and you'll really get a sense of how underwater he is in these t- key demographics in these key states to pull off what he did in sixteen. Right, and even uh, uh, you know his his base, he's losing some of his base, which tends to be. 
non-college educated men and women. And uh, last thing I just read, uh, I, I, I talked about the demographics of this. It's actually now getting down to where it's um, white evangelicals are are, the, are actually his base, and some of the the uh, white people uh, who don't have uh, college degrees are in fact leaving him, and that. So it, it doesn't look good. And what happens when when it's when a president's popularity and his chance of being reelected drop is that people in his party start abandoning him. That's traditionally been what's happening. I mean, they'll be loyal as long as it's their interest to be loyal. Right. That's, I mean, and that's the way politics works. It, it seems to me like some of those Republicans, especially those in suburban districts, but other places are going to start to see that's that's not in their interest to be loyal to Trump. So what I think could very well happen is if he decides to run for re-election, he'll be primaried. Yeah. And that's usually a disaster for the party when they have a sitting president who is primaried. The last time we've had a sitting president primaried that I remember is Kennedy uh, with uh, Jimmy Carter. Right. Was there one after that that I don't remember? You know, not, not – there might be somebody on the ballot in some of these right. states, but do they get any, you know, do they get a significant uh, or are they likely to get a right. significant uh, a portion of the votes? So, but I, th- I think, you know, if Trump stays there and they continue to lose the suburbs and continue to lose even the uh, the white, uh, let's call it blue collar vote, I just think the Republicans are are – are not going to want to go down his path anymore. As long as it was working, they'll be for, you know, they'll support their candidate as long as he puts, does some of the things right. he wants, puts conservative Supreme Court justice on the Supreme, uh, you know, in the court. But yeah, I don't, I, I, to answer your question, do I think he'll be around? Yes. Do I think he'll necessarily run? No, I actually don't think uh, uh, he'll he'll run for re-election. I think he's going to see the writing on the wall. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I could tell you how it all turns out, but that would really be abusing my power of knowing the future. Um, and I've watched uh, all of the Back to the Futures, and I know what happens when you start playing with time travel. So I'm going to heed those warnings from that trilogy and keep that to myself. Uh, we're going to take a little break. We'll be right back with religion freedom of religion in America. Here we go. I'm going to open this up with a quote from John Adams. Nothing is more dreaded than the national government meddling with religion. Uh, we are founded on f- by religious men, uh, which is interesting, and the whole idea of trying to keep religion out of the government while having religious people be in the government. Um, and Mr. Hudson here came across a little quiz for me to take to see how well I can decipher truth from fiction, correct? Right. Uh, you know, this is the time of year. Uh, there's some uh, 
concern about the war on Christmas. Oh, uh, yeah. And it's winning. I mean, I, it, <laughs> from where I am, you can't even tell it's Christmas. No, I, I I, it came in your house today. There were two trees. <laughs> yeah. But uh, there's only one big, huge one in my house. But, uh, yeah, and there's a, there's been a huge amount of litigation uh, about Christmas celebrations and uh, the display of nativity scenes and so forth. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But I did come across this. Uh, uh, this is not directly related to uh, the religious freedom in, in the United States and, and in the Constitution. But these are various lawsuits that maybe happened or maybe didn't take place. So you're going to ask me a question. Now, I got to tell you- This is from the Lawyers Mutual website. Is it, did this lawsuit actually happen or did not happen? All right. right. How, many, how many do we have? Uh, well, there's 10 here, but you know we'll do five or six. All right. That's okay. Good. All right. Uh, the owner of a beagle dog in Columbia, South Carolina, sued a local theater group staging a production of, of A Charlie Brown Christmas for unlawful infringement. The pet owner claimed the thespians misappropriated a photographic image of her Snoopy lookalike in its advertisements. So she said, you can't do that. That's not true. Uh, that would be, uh, if that picture is out there, it's in the public domain and that is permissible. Well, you're right. That's, okay. That didn't happen. Okay. How about how about this one? Restaurants in London that serve traditional British plum pudding, complete with the occasional prize of a silver coin or lucky token cooked inside, are asking diners to sign liability waivers, giving up their right to sue for mouth injuries. Oh, that's true. Absolutely. Yeah. No doubt. You go in there before your traditional yeah. plum pudding, you sign a waiver. It seems like it might take a little something out of that. How about this one? Inmates in an Arizona jail bought a lawsuit against the sheriff's office, claiming that being forced to listen to Frosty the Snowman and Feliz Navidad for 12 hours a day was cruel and unusual punishment. That's true. I'm going to say that actually happened. That actually did happen. <laughs> Bingo, baby. <laughs> And, you know, I might have to agree yeah. uh, that, you know, there's only so much Christmas music you can listen to. I'm three for three, baby. You are. All right. Let's 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 just do a couple more. Uh, two more. All right. A man dressed as a reindeer is suing for personal injuries after being shot by a bow hunter <laughs> while crossing a field following a holiday pageant. Uh, that's not true. He, no one was shot with a bow. <laughs> Falling of that's not true. <laughs> You're right. Okay. That's not true. One last one. The actor who played bully Scott Farkas in a Christmas story has sued to collect his share of royalties from sales of a calendar and action figures based on the popular nineteen eighty three film. You know, the one about right. the Red yeah. Rider BB gun. Everybody knows that right. story. Yeah, and Farkas is the redheaded kid that beats everybody up. Yeah. That's true. You're right. Yeah. You are five for Boom. five. You are on a holiday roll. I will tell you, though, that last one I did know. Oh, did you? Yeah, I did know. I read that Farkas had filed suit because originally I don't think that character was supposed to say any words. And then they added that in later. So it, it made a um, – and no one anticipated the movie doing so well. So that made his cut in the royalties a little bit more than really – so there was a yeah, lot of spoken part yes. in there. Okay. Anyway, so there we go. Five for five. I'm awesome. Um, let's, religion, 
Go ahead. I'm sorry, Jeff. Well, yeah, let, let, let's keep on this theme about Christmas now, okay. since we, we we've started this out, and uh, you know this this war on Christmas idea and how it how it uh, came about. And I was reading about it, and it seemed like it started in one particular place. And this is going to be a surprise. Fox News. Well, yeah, you wouldn't, wouldn't have guessed that. They well, it's, yeah, I wouldn't have guessed, but. Yeah. But Fox News, it didn't actually start with Fox News. It started with their promotion of a 2005 book by a radio host named John Gibson. And his book was entitled The War on Christmas, How the Liberal Plot to Ban the Sacred Christian Holiday is Worse Than You Thought. Oh, my gosh. Now, he— Can I just tell you how horrible that title is (laughs) and how misleading that title is? Well, I mean, that's dog whistles all over it for red meat. I don't read the news, but I, oh my gosh. Well, I that's, just, you know. I, uh, the, the, all right, go ahead. All right. Now, what what he said, uh, and this is him characterizing his own book, uh, what he was concerned about was educators and local officials uh, banning non-religious symbols like Santa Claus or Christmas trees out of the belief that that somehow uh, violated the separation of church and state. Separation of church and state, and so his point was that was that was dumb because it doesn't really violate the separation of church and state. So I, this is his characterization. I didn't. I don't have this book in my library. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't read it. So I could see actually that point. You know how. Uh, people misinterpret the Constitution. You know, I mean, the, the teachers have done uh, some silly things like telling people to, uh, you know, not teachers in general, but a few right. teachers. People don't understand, understand the Constitution. Right. And then, and they, Go they, overboard. Yeah, and then they're like, well, right. you, you you have a, like a, a young girl has a, a, a cross on a right. necklace. Hide say, the cross. Which you don't have to do. No, absolutely. Fact, you have to do. Yeah. But so anyhow – uh, of course, Bill O'Reilly picked this up and and ran with this idea. So every year, while well, now he's no longer on Fox News, but we were bombarded by different facets of this war on Christmas. And I, I, to tell you the truth, you know, I don't I don't think it was just about Christmas. What's going on is people know that the society is getting more and more secular, right? And the statistics uh, prove that. Uh, there's a, a survey by the Public Religion Research Institute, and white Christians, which watch, you know, were the majority, uh, now account for fewer than half of the public. White evangelical Protestants, the single largest tr- religious tradition, make up less than one in five Americans today, 17%. Uh, significantly fewer Americans identify as mainline Protestants, 13%, or white Catholic, 11%. Uh, this is a, it's even more true of young people. Millennials are increasingly uh, less likely to pray or attend church regularly or to consider a religion a really important part. Uh, and if you you know we've dealt with young people, sure. you can you can see that. So I think what it does is this so-called war on Christmas becomes a proxy uh, for uh, people who are concerned about the increasing the accurate perception is a very accurate perception that we are becoming a re- less religious country. Yeah. I, I think that, I think you're right. It's also um, a call to action. Uh, it's something that we can, you know, a person can see um, a person can understand and it might put 
butts into pews, uh, might bring people back to Jesus, back to church, uh, increase church membership because we see this assault on traditional values and religion. We're becoming a, a, an applause line for Donald Trump in oh. his rallies. He would say, you know, people used to not say Merry Christmas. I'm bringing that back. And I think he was referring to the phrase, which is often said, happy holidays, right? Uh, which a lot, some people use because, you know, this is the time of Hanukkah and some other celebrations. And uh, But happy holidays was, you know, when I was a kid, which was way before political correctness, people still use that phrase, happy. I mean, you can hear it in the old Christmas carols. Right. There's happy nothing holidays. anti-Christmas about saying Uh, Happy Holidays. So religion has played a very interesting part in our history. Uh, We are one of the most religious nations on earth, um, and religion was with us at our founding, um, and religion has moved our citizens uh, to do amazing things. Uh, Probably one of the largest social movements in our nation's history, uh, fighting for the abolition of slavery is largely driven by Christians coming out of the Second Great Awakening. Uh, Second Great Awakening coming to us from 1790 to about 1850. Um, And the idea behind the Second Great Awakening was we needed to make the world a better place when Jesus came for the second time. Uh, What did you do to make this a better place? You need to be an active Christian. And part of that action is going out and moving for the abolition of slavery. But we have some stinkers too in there. Uh, Prohibition is a largely early on a religious movement. Um, They will talk- The Woman's Christian Temperance temperance Movement. Uh, They talked about freedom. And to our mind, we would say freedom is the freedom to drink if you wanted to. In their mind, it was the freedom from alcohol, that we are going to free you from this demon drink. Well, it was also seen as a family issue. That, Absolutely. That, uh, you know, they knew alcohol was related to domestic violence. Violence. It was also seen as a woman's issue because alcohol uh, was seen as more of what the man does away at the, the saloon. Uh, he comes home and, uh, and then abuses his wife, potentially, and his family. And, and they weren't wrong. I think most, uh, if you talk to law enforcement officers today, and they're at the scene of a domestic violence uh, incident, which they hate to be. All of them uniformly right. say that's one of the worst situations. But the, 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 the officers I've talked to say, hey, alcohol or drugs are usually involved in that. So there's one or both of the parties that they meet has been drinking, and this has led to that. So they weren't wrong about that. Uh, no, their, cure, their remedy for the for the problem was incorrect. It didn't work. No, it absolutely didn't work. It didn't work. Uh, We get the civil rights movement, uh, which is largely fueled through black churches. Oh, yeah. The base of it was black churches. And, you know, and the the leader is the reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, who's a, you know, Baptist minister. Yeah, there's a reason why the rallies took places in churches, a reason why they sang so many hymns and spirituals. Right. Um, And uh, so that helped fuel that movement. Religion has... Well, first, let's back up a little bit. I'm talking about some re- some how religion impacted some well, policies. Well, I like what you're saying because uh, automatically in today's polarized environment, it, it, some some people think when they hear religion and maybe non-religious people but or younger people but they, who don't know uh, the details of American history will think that's a force of repression. Right. And, you know— 
which is not true. Like you said, in many cases, in the in the uh, uh, drive to free the slaves and the civil rights, the, the drive to give uh, black people equal rights and the drive to uh, um, for the American with Disabilities Act to treat handicapped better. I mean, churches have played a vital role in what some people would say were those were liberal causes. Right. At the same time, uh, religion has been used and is used by some in a, in a way to say uh, to thwart social change. To say, you know, well, there are certain groups of of people who will say, well, a woman's place is defined in the in the Bible. And there's certain mainstream religions that, that don't allow women to be ministers. Uh, and, of course, the Catholic Church doesn't allow women to be priests. And people would look at that and go, see, religion is repressive. It's not that simple. No, it is it's not, not that simple. That simple. It's really a che- it is a checkered history. Um, we are unique because we are a re- very religious country. However, our founding document is very secular. Uh, the Constitution does not mention Christianity, does not mention Jesus Christ, doesn't mention God. Uh, we have the First Amendment giving us the freedom of religion and giving us protection from the establishment of religion. And we have Article 6, which uh, says that no religious test shall be required to hold office. Um, so we have a secular document that's being carried out by a very religious people. And what I'm, Very religious compared to— The world in general. Yeah, right. Uh, very good. That's a very good distinction to make. Yeah. And what I have found as I think about this is that religious people, religious not religious people, but religious causes flourish if they also match a cause from the Constitution or a, a cause of freedom. For example, slavery. For example, civil rights. Those are ideals that we can find within the framework of the Constitution, within the framework of the Declaration of Independence. And we also find that that framework, those calls to freedom in the Bible as well. There really isn't a – biblically, there really isn't this idea of freedom, except really in two parts. Number one, if you are – Calvinists would disagree with this, but this idea of free choice and free will. Um, but also the idea that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, that we are all equal in the eyes of God, uh, and that equality then can also carry over into this idea of a secular government. What I find is that— Well, we, we all have souls that need to be saved. Right. And, and, and that's true in Christian theology of men, women— uh, Slave, child, right? Whatever. It's it's true of everyone. So there is an equality in Christianity, right? So when your when your um, religious cause, your biblical cause, matches up well with the ideal of liberty in the Constitution, things tend to go well for you historically. The freedom, freedom well, maybe slave. not initially. Well, absolutely. <laughs> but you're right. That's a very good point. Yeah. Um, it's when you try to push a religious doctrine that is counter to what is in the heart of the Constitution that things do not go well. And my probably the most recent is gay marriage. Um, there is, in my thinking, no way that you could read the Constitution and read the Declaration of Independence and come away with anything but the idea of equality and that everyone should get to choose for themselves how to live their lives. 
Um, that is not true in Christianity or any major religion. Uh, part of any religion is adhering to a doctrine and making choices that are difficult to make and trying to live a certain lifestyle. But that doesn't match up with what the, the theme of the Constitution and the theme of the Declaration of Independence. And I kind of want your thoughts on that, that when I see these things walking together, we're okay. When a religious group tries to push an agenda that's against the theme or the heart of the Constitution, that's when we seem to have problems. Well, this is the first time I've, I've heard that. And I think there's some merit if you look at the success of the civil rights movement. Now, when I was a, a kid, uh, you know, um, I mentioned this before, but uh, uh, there was a guy named Lester Maddox in Georgia who was passing out axe handles uh, to keep uh, to give to his white customers to hit black customers coming into his restaurants, which served a, a lot of different food, especially chicken and. And people would come in there, and that's what he encouraged them to do after the Civil Rights Act was passed. And later on, he was made governor of Georgia. Well, from that in the 1960s to the fact that we have elected our first African-American president, and he, he left office with a 60% job approval rating. I mean, that's, that shows you that there was tremendous progress. That's my point uh, uh, in, in terms of getting equal rights. And there were a, a, the mainstream uh, churches in uh, the North also supported the black churches in the civil rights movement. And you'll see Martin Luther King, and he's often accompanied with clergymen uh, from the North. So that's it. And I'm trying to, to flesh out the theory, your theory, that this is that it really works when when the tenets of the Christian religion mesh with what's in the Constitution. The, the, the problem I have with your example of same-sex marriage is certainly the founders didn't envision that we would have same-sex marriage. Well, the founders also didn't envision women's rights. They didn't envision black people being able to vote. I mean, there's a lot of things that we right. Should they did envision it. They allowed us the amendment process, right. which would allow the expansion of freedom. I would say the founders probably thought some of this stuff would be settled on the state level because of the Tenth Amendment, which says um, powers given to the federal, not specifically given to the federal government, are reserved to the states or the people, respectively. Which is the, so. I, I the idea that Vermont legalized gay marriage or Massachusetts. I don't know if they would say that the Constitution supported that well but I, but but I, you know that's just a way of of looking at what the founders would have seen not through the lens of their religion but through the lens of their uh creation through the creation that gave the states more power now uh you know typically if if you talk about um the the um, expansion of rights in the end of slavery, it was done by constitutional amendment, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment. Women's suffrage, you had the, the 20th Amendment, which allowed women to vote. There were laws that were passed by the federal government to get rid of segregation in the workplace and in the public sphere, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and then the Voting Rights Act. 
So I, I don't know if they would envision that the Supreme Court decision would be the way that um, uh, same-sex marriage would be legalized throughout the United States. No, so. probably not. But they did not have a firm grasp of what the Supreme Court was supposed to do anyway. <laughs> well, there's that's I mean, some th- truth I mean, to they that. had they had trouble just getting people to be on the, the court at first because people just did not know what the role of the court was supposed to be. Um and it really is sort of an amazing thing that we've come so far with the document uh, and that it's still functioning very well today for the most part. Uh, certainly, there's areas for improvement, and I guess we can't even agree um, what those areas of improvement would be. But as I was thinking about this topic, I was thinking about uh, the world of religion and in the con- in the political world. And another thing, another something else I noticed is that Religion in politics tended to be a pretty good thing overall um, until religious groups became voting blocks um, to be courted by specific parties instead of being issue drawn. Like slavery is an issue. Women's rights is an issue. Civil rights is an issue. Um, Abortion is an issue. Abortion is an issue. But with the beginning of Ronald Reagan and the silent majority with Jerry Falwell, um, the religious right became married to the Republican Party. And it no longer became issue-based as it became a – religion became part of the political landscape and the political process. Um, And I always thought that this was a loss for religion because at its core, at its best – Politics is amoral. Uh, uh, has to do some things that are immoral. It does things that are moral. Uh, but re- but government at its best is amoral. Uh, government also is comp- – you have to compromise. Everything is part of being com- – is compromised. Religion cannot be either one of those. Religion is not amoral. You can't be compromising in your religious beliefs. And from – I've always thought that those two things made the wedding of the right of the Republicans to Christianity very problematic. And I always thought, and it seems to be happening, that this marriage is falling apart, that the religious right married to the religious, the political right is now turning people away from the church. It's Young people are disgusted by it. Well, um, young evangelicals tend to, to think differently than their parents do about this relationship between uh, government and religion. Well, let me disagree with the first part of your statement. Uh, I, I don't think politics is amoral. I don't think the system set up by the founders is amoral. I think it's founded on uh, a distinct morality, um, just the fact that you, you would believe in the equality of, of human beings is a moral uh, belief and our system is set up. Uh, some of it, it, it sets up a really inefficient government, but it's to protect the rights of individuals. And so, I, I would 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 probably disagree with that. The part about compromise, I think that you said, is is very interesting because if you allow people to have different viewpoints, which our government clearly does, it encourages it. The First Amendment. You know, says uh, you can. Uh, uh, there can be no established religion, but you can practice whatever religion you want. It's in two parts: the 
free exercise clause and the establishment clause. So if you're allowed to have different beliefs about religion and different beliefs about politics, which are clearly, again, freedom of speech and freedom of the press, you have different beliefs, then you're going to have to compromise. The only way you wouldn't have to compromise is to give everybody the same belief. Right. So you literally have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You can't do that. And I do think that you really hit the nail on the head. Not that all of Christianity uh, would be against compromise, but there is a, a fundamentalist strain in Christianity that that believes the that word, the Bible should be taken literally word for word, and even if you agree, it's literally the way they interpret it too. Right, you know. So those people don't want to compromise, and that does lead to, to problems because there. So I would say among fundamentalists, I don't necessarily think it's against Christian theology to compromise. So, you know, it depends on what the issue would be. You know, for here in Pennsylvania, they're rounding up Amish people and going to kill them or something. You know, as a, any kind of Christian would say, no, you can't, you can't right. do that. But there's a lot of other issues that I think Christians would believe you could compromise on, you know, and, and the church would have sometimes an uncom- uncomfortable relationship with the government because you compromised. Um, but, you know, that. so I, I, I agree with you a little bit about the compromise and the problem, but I, I, I disagree that politics is Well, amoral. you look at the equality issue as a moral issue, and I don't look at equality as being a moral issue. I look as an issue of pragmatism. Um, that the best form of government is a form of government where people are free. This most stable form of government is a government in which people are free. Um, the most stable form of government is a democracy. So I do, I do see clearly how the founders couch that in terms of morality, especially if you read the Declaration of Independence. Um, but I also think there's a pragmatism there uh, that – Free societies work best. Capitalism, free markets work best. Um, I don't. For me, there's. That's why I say amoral because uh, I look at a government that um, protects abortion. Uh, I look at a government that will go to war. Uh, I look at a government that. But we hope it's a just war. Well, that's I. That's even a tough staying statement right there. I don't know how many times Christ said fight just wars. Um, that that's really problematic because what is a just war? What isn't a just war? Um, you know, I think we can all look at World War II and the Nazis and saying, okay, th- that's a just war. Right. But once you get outside of that, uh, governments have to spy on people. Government, you know, there's lots of things that governments do. In my opinion, they're right. amoral. Yeah, right. Well, here's what you, here's what I don't want to go down that loop. You know, we can go yeah, down that and it, lose our track of our topic. Well, there. well, and you don't want here's what the, the reason you want separation. Of church and state, and I know that phrase was used by Jefferson uh, in his letter to the Danville Baptist, rather rather than being in the Constitution. But the reason you don't want um, a, an established religion, uh, which the First Amendment clearly states we're not supposed right. to have, is because in history, what's happened is who whoever whatever religion controlled the apparatus of the state used that to persecute other religions. I mean, you have Bloody Mary. I mean, the the there was numerous historical examples, but our framers would have been most conscious of what happened in England. And you know, Henry VIII's uh, successor, uh, uh, Mary I, 
you know, it was she was Catholic, and she burned hundreds of Protestants at the stake. And and you didn't. You, one reason you burned them is so there wasn't any piece of their body to be left over as relics, which could be seen as sacred by Protestants. Right. And so. So you know, burning is oh, what a horrible, horrible death. So we didn't, we didn't want that to take place, and that we didn't. It wasn't just a, the the case where, obviously, if you were had a Church of England when you paid your taxes, you were supporting the church. And so there's this obvious thing: if you're a Puritan or some other religion, you don't want to support a church that you don't go to. Right. But it's more serious than that. You don't, you don't want to, unless it's your church. Because the Puritans come to America, establish a congregationalist <laughs> church. And they and do they, the same thing. They do the same damn thing. Yeah. And they kick people out right. who don't agree with them. Uh, but anyhow, that, that's our founders saw that as an example, too. They didn't want that. But at the same time, they wanted people to—they thought religion was important. It wouldn't be the first part of the First Amendment if they didn't think religion was important. At the same time, they wanted people to be able to practice the religion— they wanted to in the way they wanted to. And so you have the free exercise clause. And I think what a lot of people don't see is that there are two sides of the same coin. Right. They're absolutely two sides of the same coin. It's not like our framers were anti-religious. They didn't, America's, they didn't make the basis of our government divine right, like English had. Uh, the basis of our government is we the people, the consensus of we, the people. That's what it says in the Constitution. Well, the whole concept of letting power to the people, you it, it applies to government. It also applies to religion. Well, yeah. Well, there exactly. Exact, I agree with you. Exactly. You, you, if you're going to – in fact, a lot of people would say that's why we were founded by Protestants. They had gone through the Protestant right. Reformation, and Martin Luther said, you, have a, you don't have a priesthood telling you what to do. You have a priesthood of believers, and it's up to – uh, Christians to read the Bible and interpret that. That's part of their Christian duty to d- discern what is vital uh, by reading that in the vernacular. And, and the people who um, uh, who translated uh, the Bible into English were some of the first people to be persecuted and burned at, at the stake because they, you know, the, they the Catholic the Church. Of the church. Yeah. Uh, so you're 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 absolutely right. Uh, the the democratic viewpoint on this is we can't possibly have a a established church because we always know what happens. That'll be it. The uh, people who want to believe, for instance, if you're an Anabaptist, that you should wait till you're 13 to be baptized. You should wait till you can give some kind of informed consent to join the church. Well, the Catholic Church was they would believe in infant baptism, and this was a reason for persecuting people. We didn't want that to take place here. And again, a lot of people don't see this as two sides of the same coin. You can't have an established church. Even if you said, we're going to have a Christian church. Then, Christian then, church? Right, which Christian church? I mean, there's hundreds. Right. Literally, hundreds. So which one will it be? Will it be the one that believes in infant baptism or adult baptism? Will it be the ones that accept same-sex marriage or the ones who reject it? And, and, and the argument of people who want a theocracy will be, well, well of course it'll be mine. Because mine's the, I read the Bible correctly. Right. right. And but, but the framers didn't want that. They obviously did. And they saw, they wanted a place where religion has thrived, and they got one. In America, 
by far has more churches and people go to uh, religion plays an important part of their life than Europe, from which we sprang, from England, from which we sprang. But it, it's flourished because we didn't have an established church. And a lot of people don't get that part. So when we talk about the, the war on Christmas and increasing secularization, I understand that people are concerned. But, you know, there's always that question I, that, that we've articulated that I don't people think about. Well, which church will it be? That national cathedral that Bush was just, had, had his funeral service in. You know, he was an Episcopalian, so he had an Episcopalian bishop, I believe, talk to him. Okay, he was an Episcopalian, so that makes sense. Well, what if you had a Jewish leader? Who do you have speak at the cathedral? Well, you know, he would probably want a rabbi. And we want, I think in America, we want that. I think people want religion. We don't want to pay taxes to support some other uh, religion. So I, th- I do think it's very important for us to think of this as two sides of the same coin, like I said. Absolutely. And I, the, the idea, you need freedom of religion, I think, truly to be free. Um, you need to be able to decide for yourself uh, your eternity if you're a religious person. Uh, you don't need the government doing that for you. Um, and then you need government to protect that freedom so that you can live a life and worship as you see fit. And as you pointed out, these are um, two sides of the same coin because historically, if you use England, for example, uh, what the king was saying was pretty much the same thing what the Anglican church was saying. Uh, not only if you challenge the church, or you could challenge the government. If you could challenge the government, you could challenge the church. Well, they were one in the same thing. Right. So when you study American history, what you're going to find out with the First Great Awakening is that Americans started to challenge their religion. Like, I, I can choose what I want to be. I don't have to be a Congregationalist. I don't have to be Anglican. And those people, the, that process doesn't necessarily say, oh, now I'm going to challenge England, but that mindset that if I can choose where I'm going to spend eternity and how I'm going to get there, certainly I'm capable of choosing my own government. Certainly I'm capable of right. voting for the people represent me. So religion, sum it up this way, religion and government and religion and freedom have a complex history that are woven together into the fabric of our nation. Um, and I think for the most part, it has served us well. And we have done a good job of balancing. Uh, sometimes we go out of kilter and we bring it back. But I think overall, we've balanced ourselves well. Well, I think conservative Justice uh, Sandra Day O'Connor in, in, in one of her decisions uh, – uh, or referred to one of her decisions say, well, this has worked so well, referring to separation of church and state. Why would we want to change it? We're going to leave it on that. So thanks for joining us. Uh, catch us next time. I'm not sure what our topic is going to be next time, but I know it's going to be awesome. So thanks again. Thanks again.